Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn from GoLong at GoLongTD.com. Hey, just a quick note before we get this podcast started. I wanted to let everybody know that we did hit record on this baby Saturday night. So you might hear a little bit of Drew Brees talk, Saints talk. Obviously, a little bit's changed since then, but still relevant. You're going to get a ton of Bills talk. We break down that 2017 draft class with Jim Monas, who was right there in the draft room for all these players that have been re-signing with the team and become such core members of the team. And, and we kind of expand that to the entire 2017 draft and really what that did for the NFL as we see it today. So I, I hope you enjoy. As always, feel free to let us know what you want to hear what players you want us to get on these Zoom happy hours for subscribers at GoLong, at Ty Dunn on Twitter, T-Y-D-U-N-N-E. Always want to hear from you. So without further ado, here we go. How's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn here with Jim Monas for another episode of the Go Long Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire, part of the Blue Wire Network. Get a lot of different podcasts, check them out, a lot of great stuff out there, and of course, we're always sipping on that Hamburg Brewing Company beer. I got a Louis IPA in my hand, I got that Louis in the fridge. Jim is in... Delaware, but I'm sure he's got Hamburg on the mind anyways, right? Hard not to. I miss, I miss the Louie right now. You definitely got me hooked on that, but I still want to go back to the, um, the 8.0. A sneaky eight. I, I, I would definitely say it hits you like it's a double digit. I miss it. We're going to have to get one this week when I get back. I love it. I love it. Well, hey man, it's great to see you here. 
in the virtual world where we're going to get together, get in person. We want to see people in person. We're going to have some live events and uh, really meet some sub- subscribers that go along. Anybody, if you're out in town, let, let's get together. We'll make it happen. And also, um, if you're thinking about subscribing to go along, if you buy an annual membership right now, in case you missed our special, um, you can get a hoodie or a crew sweatshirt on the house. So if you're if you're thinking about it, you want to read some long form, you want to read a story you haven't read before, learn something new, just ding that subscri- subscribe button, annual, we'll hook you up. And I think you're going to be pumped with uh, everything that's going to be churning out at Go Along. Just a uh, great trip in Florida, Jim. Met with a lot of players down there, draft prospects. And I, I'm really pumped to share those stories with the world. I, there's some good ones in there. You must have been working. You don't look too tan. <laughs> that used to be a dead giveaway, especially this time of year at Pro Days. You know, I'm working in Buffalo. And, you know, I'd like make sure I'd schedule Central Florida, South Florida, you know, Georgia, Gainesville. And everybody's like, man, how? where are you getting this tan? I was like, it's work. You got to go to the Pro Days. You got to check them out. You got to see what those 40 times are. It's it's true though, really. I mean, I was uh, God. I drove to to Tampa to see Marquez Valdez Scanlon from Miami, and that story's up if people want to check it out. But yeah, it was just kind of kind of driving all over the place, meeting with these guys, and it was it was great. I mean, the whole NFL world kind of descends upon Phoenix or South Florida. I feel like this time of year, so I was trying to decide. All right, gotta go somewhere. Gonna meet with a lot of guys. Let's go to Florida for the week, and it was it was great. Learned a lot. Um, you're kind of a traveling man yourself right now, Jim, right? No, it's it's tough being it's tough saying you're on vacation when you're unemployed, but yes, we've taken a little vacation from Buffalo, going to see some some of the places we love, Charleston, South Carolina, now back in Bethany Beach, Delaware, and be back to Buffalo this week. You know, it's college basketball season right now, so you know, I'm definitely amped up. We got Eastern Washington tonight in the big sky final. So it's 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 nonstop right now. I love this time of year, pro days in basketball. The Big Sky Final. Everybody's on, everybody's watching that. Everybody's on that Big Sky. You know, real quick, as Alan Robinson threw the debate out there on Twitter, you always see it this time of year. I want to know where you stand because I know where I stand. College basketball versus the NBA. Gun to your head. What are you watching? I have to watch easy for me. NBA. Thank you. I think college basketball is horrible to watch. I love gambling on it, but it's hard to watch. I don't think the quality of play is that good. Kind of like we talked about with Eric Wood about college football a little bit. I yeah. I just like watching the best of the best. But I will say this, I will not watch the NBA until the playoffs start. It's just good point. It's, yeah, it's just too much. I mean, I love watching the highlights and see keeping up with everything, but until the playoffs start, I really can't. It's hard to watch a game. To sit down and watch a, a playoff NBA game versus March and I love March Madness. We all love Agreed. pulling out the brackets, but just in terms of just the game itself, I mean, are you going to take the 19-year-old dribbling the ball off his leg with nine seconds left, and then the 20-year-old misses two free throws at the other end, and then it just it's, it's mostly kids kind of making. That's why you get those crazy finishes, and I get it. The crazy finishes are fun, they're entertaining, but it's not better. It's not a better. It's a, it's a much much worse product than anything you'd see in the NBA in the playoffs. No, it goes it, for me. It goes way back to um, Chris Weber calling that timeout against North Carolina. That's yeah. a little before your time, but that was kind of my high school days. And there, there might have been some gambling going on in high school as well. And that timeout was a 
cost cost a lot of people some money. I don't want to say if it was me or not, but it was. I just go back to that. You, how do you get mad at an eighteen year old or yeah. a nineteen year old? You know, for making it, it's a, hey, that could happen to anybody. And that's I think you're right. College basketball just doesn't have those guys in the NBA in the playoffs when they turn it on. It's it, there's not much better to watch. I mean, and to see where Dame Lillard and Steph Curry are shooting these threes from in that All Star game from half court like it's a free throw. I can't get over the skill level in the NBA. It's unreal. It's unreal. So, all right, I thought we would have a, a hearty debate there, but it's good you're thinking right, Jim. I like, I like the go- No, no, I'm with you on that. I just you like know. gambling on college basketball. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, we, we were texting and we've been talking, you know, up to this podcast trying to figure out, you know, what a good theme would be. And, you know, whether it's locally with, you know, a lot of our listeners obviously are Bills fans and it's, it was a busy week really for them from re-signing Matt Milano, Daryl Williams, and your name, Doug Whaley's name, it kind of came up as, hey, you guys found these players. Like, that's your draft. I mean, you were a part of that and your scouting department and Sean McDermott, obviously. But, like, it was good to see you guys getting a little credit for a guy like Matt Milano. So we're going to talk about this 2017 draft because I think locally with the Bills, it set the course for the team. We've talked a little bit about Patrick Mahomes, so I'm not sure, you know, how far down that road we need to go. We've gone down that a few times, but we'll talk about the players that you did draft and how you found those players. And then and let's bring it national. Let's bring it to the whole NFL, too, in in this draft. They kind of set the course for the modern league that we see today. I mean, there's a ton of star power top to bottom in this draft, so we'll kind of parse through it. I mean, Deshaun Watson, he doesn't even want to play for the Texans right now, so that's another angle. Um, but let's start local, Jim. I mean, take it whatever direction you want. So, like, you know what? Let's pick it up where we left off with the Mahomes conversation. So I think most everybody has either, you know, read our two-part series that go along on what the hell happened there and all the pressure on Josh Allen and how a big reason for that pressure is the owner loved Terry or the owner Terry Pagula loved Patrick Mahomes. He didn't take Patrick Mahomes. We know what happened. But Tredavious White, not a bad consolation prize. If you want to start there, the floor is yours, Jim. Well, that's one of those guys that you're happy about because there wasn't really much debate on him. Um, everybody, the coaches, the scouting staff, personnel, everybody was kind of on board with him. Um, you know, I think it was a matter. Sean did a nice job calling down to LSU and actually talked to some people that even um, – kind of not recommended him more than Jamal Adams, but said as as much of a leader and tough as Jamal Adams is, Trey White is every bit of that. And it would be a debate for this coach at LSU that we spoke with that who he would really pick, to, you know. And, and when we figured that they're putting Trey White and Jamal Adams kind of makeup, you know, we already liked his talent. Um, I think we definitely felt fortunate that he was there to get that type of corner. You know, that, you know, you redraft that draft now. He's a top 10 pick. Did you guys have a debate with anybody else there that you want to get into? And so, how? And this is where, and this is where we talk about it almost every podcast, how drafts can just get crazy. But yes, Zay Jones was, was on our mind at that pick. Um, not necessarily, you know, that was a guy that we all kind of liked. We had Trey White, obviously graded higher. You know, but at the time, Zay was very intriguing to us because we, we talked about we had his receivers coach on the staff and spoke so highly of him and really thought he had some qualities that would be good in the NFL. But, you know, our scouts weren't necessarily as sold as where we had him on the draft. We had some area scouts that had him a little bit more in the third round. 
And we didn't have that type of – nobody – everybody liked Trey Ward. So at the end of the day, Sean did some hard thinking on it and really – I think when he really factored everybody's opinions on how strong they felt about Trey, that sold Sean to make that call on Trey. It's a very nice way to put it, Jim. It's a very, very yeah. nice way to put that. Hey, he had he had plenty decision. of people. He had, he asked plenty of people's opinions, and everybody that he asked was on board with Trey. So you know what, everybody out there on Twitter, will you just tweet a thanks to my man Jim here? Jim Mona is forty two. Um, Jadavius White is a Buffalo Bill, and well, Zay Zay Jones ended up being a Buffalo Bill, but so, you know, he, he ended up being a Buffalo Bill at a spot that you know the damage wasn't nearly as bad as it as it could have been missing out on a. Pro Bowl it, cornerback, that's a pillar. It wasn't. I mean, yeah, it, it, it didn't – his lack of route running and, and really being a special guy with the ball in his hands, you know, he never made anybody miss. He never really was great after the catch. So, you know, what, what are you really getting in Zay? You know, he thought he had outstanding hands. I think his hands were good at the end of the day. You know, he did have some drops in college as well. And we kind of thought – that they weren't a problem, but I think maybe they were. Maybe we should have paid a little more attention to his hands. But I just don't know what Zay was going to do, what quality he had that was going to separate him to be a really good NFL receiver at the end of the day. We saw him as a size guy that had good hands, and you could you you know he, he was tough. We had high character remarks from the coach on the staff, so we really thought he would just be a good player. I don't know if we thought he'd be great, but. He he did, obviously didn't pan out, and and he's still fighting. I mean, he's not, you know, he's still fighting, but he wasn't what we thought. You know, obviously there's a lot of um, you know mental health stuff going on with Zay Jones. I mean, we we saw the footage. We, it, I'll tell you right now, flags. we didn't know. We knew nothing about any of that stuff, and especially with having you know his coach on the staff, and and it was disappointing to think, you know, obviously I was going, but it was disappointing to think that how did we not get that from anybody in East Carolina or you know, the coach himself, so. It's remarkable yeah. that you got, that Tredavious White is that pick then at, at 27 overall. Um, he's beloved by the entire fan base. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Uh, it's, you know, he's always going to have the Mahomes thing hanging over his head to a, to a degree, but I feel like what, you know, consolation isn't even the right word, but like he, he is, yeah one of the the pillars of this team. I mean, they, they aren't in this position that they're in right now competing for Super Bowls without Tredavious White. Top 10, like I said, top – he would redraft that. He's top 10 pick. Easily. And anytime you can say that about a guy, you know, and you can go through a lot of drafts and find those guys that would be way – you know, a lot higher than where they went, but it's always good to get one of those. And what these guys we're going to talk about coming up too. Boy. So is it – that conversation in the draft room, you know, what what is that like, Jim? And and we can move off this pick soon, but I'm just really interested because it's like you and Doug were very much a part of this draft. I mean, your yeah. fingerprints are over all over these picks, and I think on an outsider looking in, they might think, oh, they're they're the lamest of lame ducks. They're let go the next morning. How much say did they really have? What what did it really look like in there? That was some. There were some questions on Twitter about this the other night that I thought were really good about how who was making the call and. Sean had final say, and Sean was very prepared for everything, you know, to, to take over the job that he did, you know, in February, and then be ready to be, you know, well, you know, knowledge and have all the knowledge for the draft like he did. He really did a good job of working and as a coaching staff and personnel department. I actually really thought we did a good job with the coaches in that draft 
getting them the guys to really look at and come together and make these picks. And I think that was the frustrating part. You know, I know that it went, you know, Sean and Doug Willie maybe never had that relationship at the top to, you know, maintain our jobs. And I think that was so frustrating or confusing for us is we thought we really worked well with the coaches for that draft. And, and I think the results speak for themselves. I think he shook your hand after the draft and hey. said that's that that un- was about the undrafted free agency. Yeah, he just liked the process. He said he liked how we the process of the undraft, you know, how the undrafted players went. And just said, hey, that was the best undrafted process I've been around. Thank me, and it, it was really nice. And you know, you're going home thinking, hey, this is this is gonna be fun. But yeah, n- next morning, bye bye. You went home that night thinking, yeah. Um, it was still kind of, there was still something, you know, there was still something not right in the air. Um, but, you know, you just like to think the best. And it felt, it, it still felt like, you know, things were going okay. This is me talking, not you. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's, I don't know the right way to, to, go, to, do, to go about a situation like that. I don't know what the handbook tells you to do if you're Sean McDermott, if you're the Buffalo Bills. I feel like they're, Maybe there's a conversation had at, at some point. That you know, I think we had talked it, or, a little bit more. Yeah, more, it just I, wasn't the same. We weren't going to dinner with Terry and Kim, okay. you know, the, leading up to those weeks for the draft, and that that was kind of a sign to me, like, you know, man, is everything okay? Or at the same time, they were very busy with the Sabers, putting a staff together, um, so they were going through a lot. So we just felt like they were really busy. And, you know, that's what it was. But obviously there was a lot of probably tough dis- decisions being made behind closed doors that we right. weren't around for. And he's obviously kind of getting his people lined yeah. up because and it happened you know 10 days later, that's I right. want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they interviewed some other people. and But like we talked about, hey, you got to be comfortable with who's running the show. And he knew Brandon would – he knew how Brandon worked and how he did things. And so, hey. hey. They're doing well too. So it's hey, we left them with a good draft, and at least they're they're keeping it rolling. So, man, well, thank thanks for being so honest, Jim. That that was really yeah. interesting. I mean, like, what's it like then? And I've I've talked to people on in other front offices on other teams, and one theme that does come up a lot is, you know, not just draft day, but even leading up to the draft, where you know, the scouts and the personnel people like that have been grinding this you know, the entire college football season and then all off season, they, you know, you're seeing every play of every game and you know how a guy's wired, you know, how a guy's going to respond to adversity and on the field, off the field. And then sometimes like the coaches then come in late in the game and, you know, they might have a, a 10 to 15 play highlight reel that, that they fall in, and they fall in love with a guy over this highlight reel, and this happened. That's happened in San Francisco. I, I had a, a scout out there tell me how like they had some issues out there with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch because it was kind of like a lot of the scouts felt marginalized. Like Shanahan has the power out there, and his coaching staff they were they had a lot of say, and they were taking some players that the scouts didn't necessarily like. I mean, Joe Williams wasn't even on the draft board, the running back. And Kyle Shanahan just came out and they, they took him in the fourth round. Um, Reuben Foster, I mean, John Lynch loved this guy. Uh, so I guess he was on board with it. But I think a lot of the scouts are like, eh, I don't know about this. 31st overall in this draft and obviously total bust. They would have taken him, you know, in the top five, I feel like. 
But I don't know. I, I'm just so fascinated by scouts, coaches, that relationship, that push and pull. Because obviously, you know, like the Bill Parcells line, like if I'm, I want, I want to get the food, you know, the groceries, whatever the hell he said. But these scouts, I mean, you guys are watching these guys a lot more than these coaches are all year round. In New or- it was really fun in New Orleans. We spent so much time with our assistant coaches. Coach Payton really believed, kind of what to your point is, where we need to be synced up as a staff if we're going to pull this thing off. Like I, the scouts need to know what the coaches want, and the coaches need to know can we trust you guys as evaluators and the information you're getting. And I'm telling you, when you're able to keep guys together on a staff and spend the off seasons, when you go to OTAs, the scouts, you need to be sitting in on these position meetings. I used to always go down to New Orleans in the off season and just sit in on meetings and just listen to these coaches, coach these guys and really make understand what we were trying to do on offense, defense, special teams. And Buffalo, we didn't really have a chance to do that. Doug Marone wanted to do that. He really was trying to do that. But, you know, he wasn't there. Then you bring Rex in, and we're trying to get to know those guys. He's out. Now we got Sean come. You can't do that when you're rotating coaches. And we, you know, we just didn't have the time to really build. You know, it, it, I think right now they've built a pretty stable staff, both coaching and personnel, where they're not losing a lot of guys. So they have some continuity. And, once again, it's how you really build this thing and sustain it. That's a great point because you're going to – look for the same things, you know what they yeah. want. Yep. And and you're gonna go find that with the background information, with the context of what the player is in his totality. Um and, and that's where this draft is interesting too, right? I mean so this new receivers coach comes in, has this relationship with Zay Jones. He, he was probably pushing like hell to draft Zay Jones. Like, oh let's bump the brakes here. We we watched him pretty closely. Maybe we don't take him there, but we take him later. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking at it here. So after, after that Trey White pick, I mean, what, what do you want to get into with the, with the, well, after Zay, after Zay, after it was, Zay, yep. yeah, after Zay, then it was, uh, Dion, right? That's right. Yep. So you're talking about, here's a guy where once again, everybody was on board with, there was no issues right there. And it was, you know, guy, our scouts were on him early. I was lucky enough to go see him play, um, Temple played out at Memphis that year on like a, I forget it was a weird night. I feel like it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night game. It was a different, but anyway, it was really, it was, you know, I got to, I, I don't, I'll never forget in pregame warmups, you know, the music's pumping and most of the time it's receivers, corners, you know, the smaller skill guys all dancing, man, the one guy that was dancing and, and just had so much energy that Deion Dawkins, like just, <laughs> it was awesome. It was like, man, he, you could see his athleticism just from him, you know, in the pregame warmups, just getting into it. But his energy was great, and he played the game that way. So that was a guy I think everybody felt pretty strong about. I mean, he's he's one of the the leaders of this team now. I mean, on the field, off the field. Yeah. You you could say our are, are the Bills here now with, without him. I mean, did you see yeah. that in him too? Did your scouts? You know, our scouts did. They really were on him good, and I think everybody just that was. I'm really telling. You, I think. You know, you always worry about can these guys transition their pass blocking. I know personally, I was a little concerned if Deion could play left tackle, um, and if he's really ready for some of that edge stuff. But he's obviously he's been well coached. He's he, he can take coaching, and he he just he's playing the part. He's playing pretty well. What a draft! I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. The pick before Deion Dawkins is Juju Smith-Schuster. 
And it looks like one, two, three, four picks later, Alvin Kamara to the Saints. That, that Kamara, okay, that Kamara pick. See, what we were just talking about, how you could go through and start finding top yeah, 10. Yeah, oh, I know. I mean, you redraft Kamara might be – I mean, he's top 10, at least top 15 just because of his – you know, he's like McCaffrey. He can do everything. It's remarkable, too. Like, so, I mean, it was a weird college career for him, right, at Tennessee. Like, how, how does he fall? To Alabama, it was a rocky road. He right. started Alabama, goes to Tennessee, you know, it just – but if he had a clean – if you know – if he was clean, like with no issue transferring and having, he didn't have anything bad or anything. I don't think it was anything like that. It was just that, you know, leaving. I forget what it was, but for Alabama to, to give up on a guy, that's always a little concerning. Exactly. I mean, Nick Saban is right. I mean, he's got so many relationships around the NFL. You you, you do wonder, like, right? What, what's being? But said that's another guy. I know. I know our scouts were like, wait, you watch this, you know, wait, you see this. That. Our scouts were on him, too, and it was like, wow. It was – because he could – you know, because of his receiving skills, too, route running, it was just – It's remarkable. 3,340 rushing yards, 2,824 receiving yards. Um, Cooper Cup was a couple plays after Kamara there. Uh, but then, yeah, so Deion Dawkins, obviously, you, you, you hit the bullseye there still. And then Milano, Matt Milano. Pulling it up here, 163 overall in the fifth round. Um, what a find! Four years, 44 mil, just signed this year. I think that uh, you know we talked on this podcast a little bit about it. You know, it, it seemed like he was a player who have a shot at getting a lot more than that on the open market. And I thought that the fact that it got to this point, that he would hit that open market. You wonder if the Bills are able to use the whole COVID cap thing to their advantage, and like, right, are you really going to get that out there? Maybe he won't get it. He kind of wants to stay in Buffalo. He sees a good thing going, and they kind of met at a number. But um, we'll, we'll, obviously we'll get into, like, you know, what this means for the Bills moving forward and what they should or shouldn't do. But Matt Milano himself, what do you remember about scouting him? So this is a guy that was interesting where – and this is where um, I like to go through all the combine and pro day numbers and try to find guys that are hitting all the – you know, kind of hitting all the times. And, but maybe, you know, you always compare what starts in the NFL. So you always have a chart. Here's the average 40 time for the starting will linebacker for safety, for a corner, vertical jump, three cone drill, blah, blah, blah. All the drills you do. But to me, that's what I like to see is what guy is hitting those, you know, hitting, okay, he ran the same 40 as the average starter in the NFL. He jumped higher than some of these guys are jumping. He ran this drill better. Okay. Well, well, we don't have, you know, we might not have had him very high because he, he was a smaller guy, mm-hmm. you know, safety playing linebacker. So when you go back and watch his film and, and you're just like, hey, he's jumping out right now. You know, he kind of jumped out at me when I went back and kind of looked at him. And our scouts liked him. Everybody was on board. Obviously, his character was off the charts and there was no issues. And scouts liked him. But that was the guy then um, Gerald Dixon watched him as well, uh, who was a pro scout. I had him kind of look at him as well. And um, he liked them. And then, we, you know, we let the coaches look at them. They liked them. And then I spent some time with Sean in his office, you know, kind of the morning up saying, hey, this guy's available. Sean, Sean put the tape on with me and he liked him. And there it goes. I mean, that's kind of the process where it can go right up to that draft day sometimes where, especially with a new staff and with Sean having so much to do. But, I mean, really, he wanted to get his eyes on him because he knew everybody liked him. And 
So it was really a cool process with Milano and really nice to see. They've done such a good job coaching. I mean, he does fit the way they, you know, the way they want to use him and smart for him to stay and play with these guys because that's who, you know, they're going to make him his best player. That's that's wild to me. So that was a date. Day three pick, right? Yeah, so the, mor- the morning of day three, you're, you're sitting in Sean's office? Yeah, we were just going over it a little bit, mm-hmm. just watching him and, and just, you know, and, and he kind of, you know, he was just making plays, kind of. You just saw the flash. You saw the speed, the explosion, slipping blocks. You knew he wasn't going to be, you know, not that he's not tough. He's really tough, too, but he's not, you know, doesn't have the size to just take on guys. But he was just all over the field, so you're thinking coverage, special teams, Late round, that's what you're looking for in guys like that. And we took another guy, Vallejo, um, in that draft, kind of where we thought we were getting two, you know, backup type linebackers that were going to be really – and when you have a backup linebacker, the number one thing is they better help you. Know, they better be ballers on special teams. And we thought both those guys would be. And, and, and there's a lot of, like – are you thinking about the direction of the game, too, with a player like that and, and just, okay – you know, is, is, does he have this defined position? Is he the, an inside linebacker in a three-four or four-three, or or is this guy just somebody that's going to make plays? That we got to we got to take this talent and just figure it out because this is where the game is going. This is what he can do. I mean, what's what's running through your mind when you just start looking at a guy like that's playing one position in college? Not necessarily going to do that in the pros, but really, what is that position to begin with? Now, I, to the extreme, it's Jamal Adams, right? Like what he's doing in Seattle, he's kind of a linebacker most of the time. It feels like, but he's a safety in name. So I, Milano kind of is a. You had to think outside the box when you're drafting him. This is exactly kind of we spoke about it a little bit, but you want the safeties and linebackers. The game has changed, and there was a time when you know, Milano's size. I I personally grew up you know with the Eagle Saints. It was hey, we want big. We you know. The size was the thing. And I think you have to really figure out how are these guys going to stay on the field? Mm-hmm. We took a guy, Reggie Raglan, because, you know, kind of fit Rex's defense. Well, it didn't fit Sean's defense. He didn't, he wasn't looking for that straight ahead, just, you know, take on and, and run stuffing linebacker. That's what Reggie is. Not that Reggie's not a good athlete, but, you know, he's, he's one speed guy. He's not going to be great in man coverage. And, it just goes to show you, once again, you have to know what you want. Sean knows he wants his safeties to have corner-type skills. Um, we had that in Philly when he was there. With You know, Brian Dawkins, could play, you know, Troy Vincent ended up moving, you know, from corner to safety towards the end of his career. So Sean kind of knew he's, – he's known that. Like, he knows that works. You get Hyde and Poyer, guys that, you know, they have corner-type ability, ball hawk guys, but also really tough, smart, instinctive. Then you, you put these linebackers together and Sean wants some speed. So they get Edmonds and Milano and they have speed at linebacker. Real quick, Hyde and Poyer. That was the same offseason. Yep. That was that free agent class. And that's those two guys. I, I'm telling you, there weren't many debates on those guys. And mm-hmm. we were fortunate that, um, uh, Babich, Babich's son, uh, who's on staff coaching, coaching safeties, I believe had him in Cleveland. And really liked him. And I think he got hurt, if I remember correctly. But Babbage was like, hey, this guy's interesting. And I tell you, our pro scouting department, everybody looked at him. We looked at him. And, you know, we saw we saw something there. I can't say we saw what he was going to be, but Babbage's son really believed in him. Um, 
and push for him. And I do want to give him credit for that because he really did a nice job of selling him, and he was right. Wait, and Micah Hyde, I covered him in Green Bay. Right. Uh, we we crossed paths and just just in terms of like our job and in the locker room, like he felt this magnetic pull to him. We we talked all the time, and he was just so you know, insightful, informative, and just, just a good dude to talk to in there, whether it's about the NBA or, or football. And But aside from that, on the field, like, he just made plays. Like, it didn't matter where he was. Like, he came in out of Iowa, obviously, and it was like, well, he, the he, reason I fell in the draft is, is he a boundary corner? You know, are you leaving him out there on an island? You're, right. you're obviously not doing that, but you can find a role for him, whether it's in the slot, whether it's at safety returning punts. I mean, he was great returning punts in, in, in Green Bay. Natural. Yeah. Very natural catching the ball, right? I mean, yeah. what, what, so you, he's and just a player. He's just a gamer. Just a player. Just a football player. Yep. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> uh, it, it's remarkable to me, and I, I'm so glad that Micah Hyde was honest about this when he after he re, or re-signed this offseason. I think he touched on it. But uh, Green Bay, like, didn't even show any interest at all in, in re-signing him, at, like, at all. And since Micah Hyde has left, they've gone through so many DBs. They've signed guys. They've drafted guys. Um, what, what's happening at the end of the first half against Tampa Bay? I mean, Kevin King is, is getting beat deep. Like, I feel like Micah Hyde, you want him on the field because his, his intelligence alone is worth so much more that we can even see uh, tangibly. So good on him, good on the Bills, making that work off the get-go, re-signing, like, I mean, who, do you remember who liked him? Like, who, who was kind of pushing for him early on in free agency? I think that was a total staff effort. Um, I know our pro scouting department was really high on him. The coaches were high on him. That that was one of those guys we target. That was an easy kind of target for us. Yeah. Let's let's go after him. Nobody debated it. You know, one of those first visit. You know, you line up. You know, you're setting your free agent board. All right, who are we get in the you know who are we gonna try to get in here right away? Because you always want you don't want him to leave. Yeah, want to get him first. You don't want him going anywhere. So he was one of those guys. It's pretty wild how far the Bills have come in terms of, like, this specific moment in March then till now. Like, then it's like, okay, like like you just said, like, you get him in the building, get him to sign, like, make it happen. And that was a, a hell of an offseason to get him and Poyer, um, Hauschka. Uh, it was, you know, you're able to sign some guys where, I mean, now here they are. Free agency hasn't even begun and Milano's sticking around, Dara Williams is sticking around, Micah Hyde's sticking around, and you're able to get some of this stuff done. You don't even you don't have to be that team in the frenzy overpaying for guys where you guys were kind of in that tough position and not any fault of your own. I mean, it's been like that in Buffalo since the nineties, right. where it's like to try to convince a guy to sign with the Bills, um, it's tough. I mean, you know, everybody has their preconceived notions of Buffalo. There's been a lot of losing. I can still remember uh, Russ Brandon sitting up there with Mario Williams in that $100 million contract. Like, that was a big moment because I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy wants to sign here. Well, he costs a lot of money to get him to sign in Buffalo. Uh, but it, it, it just seems like the, the tenor and the tone of bills and free agency, it, it really has shifted now that they're a Super Bowl contender. It's funny you bring up that Williams, the Mario, that, that – I remember that contract came across, and I just remember, you know, we're all looking at each other, like, really? Like, you just – because back then, he got paid like a quarterback. You did, yeah. You know, and that was just didn't seem – you pay a defensive end like a quarterback? 
I mean, that was it. But you had to had to get him there. He took the money. I mean, and the bills in that moment paid it. And he, I mean, you know, honestly, he he was he was fine. Good. He was a good player, and then he really did fall off. I mean, he had some injuries, and he did get older, you know, and and he wasn't the same guy there at the end. But he he definitely had he definitely was a good football yeah. player. There, there's no question about that. It's not like Mario was a bust, you know, ever as a high pick. He was a good, really good player. I mean, he just checked out when he realized what Rex was doing in that ski. Eric Wood kind of confirmed it on the podcast yeah. a couple weeks ago, right? Like he just kind of quit on the team. He did. Jim Schwartz, I told you what he said. You'd rather fight Mario Williams than Nickel Roby. Roby was, what, 5'7"? He said, because if I'm fighting Mario, there's a chance if I hit him, he'll quit. He goes, there's no way Nickel Roby would ever quit. He said, but he did say, he goes, both guys would kick my ass. But <laughs> Schwartz is saying this? Yeah. It's why I can absolutely see that, like. It was awesome. When he short said that, I was like, that, that, that's a well said. Like, I mean, just, you know, that's that's how he saw him. You know, Roby was, Roby was. I mean, you you saw him play. He's still, that's why he oh, plays he's still. Feisty as hell, man. Yeah. Yeah, but it's different now in Buffalo. I get, I mean, I, and it all starts with the quarterback. You know, Josh Allen doing what he did. It's it, You kind of dictate the terms now as a team this time. It's going to be fun because they haven't. Like you said, they haven't even, you know, they haven't started to go after, you know, other guys yet. And it's, but they're keeping their own. They know they're a good team. And that, that, that says something. That's good in the locker room, too. That's a good, hey, I'm glad he's coming back. I'm glad he's, hey, we're, we can do this now, you know. And like I said, you want to go into the draft, not having to reach. You want to go into the draft, taking the best player available. You are a good team right now with a franchise quarterback. You can't reach for guys and they, they're not. Just to play devil's advocate, though, Jim. Like, yep. and tell me if I'm wrong because I've. This is the way I've kind of covered every team I've ever covered in the league. Now, it just seems like I, I like. I, I tend to look at that last game, that last moment, the Bills in Kansas City. Okay, what happened? Patrick Mahomes had all day back there. All right, they they weren't able to get any pressure on him at all. What happened to Patrick Mahomes against Tampa Bay? He's running for his damn life. He's running for 497 yards before he throws it or gets sacked. Whatever that statistic was, I mean, it was they were relentless. They were they were getting after him start to finish. So you know when Milano resigned, I kind of had the same reaction as everybody. It was like, wow, like that's that seems like a good dollar amount for a, a good player. They're clearly better with him than without him. But then I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, what, what's the difference between you and Kansas City? Like you've got to get after Mahomes. You need an elite pass rusher. The Bills haven't proven with this new front office that they can really draft defensive linemen. They have. I mean, Harrison Phillips, Ed Oliver, A.J. Epinesa. I mean, let's give I mean, Epinesa a little time. It was only one year, but nothing really impressed you out of him. Ed Oliver, he hasn't really turned that corner. So if, if you have proven that you can't draft players who can get after the quarterback, then sign players who can get after the quarterback, who you know are ass kickers that are going to have Mahomes running for his life. Are you going to have to pay a lot more for it? Above dollar amount, probably. But there, there's guys out there, Shaq Barrett, Unique Ngakwe, Bud Dupree. I mean, there's there, there's a handful. And I just felt like it would have been worth it for the bill. I don't think they can do this now with Darrell Williams and Milano resigning, which, like I said, good good for the Bills. But to me, I'm not a general manager. There's a reason I'm sitting here. But, like, I would have used that money to just go all in on one of these other guys who could give you that effect because 
what happened when Milano was out there. I mean, Kelsey still went nuts. Mahomes still went nuts. Like, what has really changed? Well, well, so far the Bills haven't done anything to necessarily improve their team, right? I mean, they kept their own, and that's big. Good. But what are they going to do to make themselves different, to your point, you know, to get over that, that hurdle? Well, we don't, what we don't know is how they value Oliver and Spenza, you know, behind closed doors. How, how do they see those guys? We're going to find out with the sign, with the free agent signings in the draft will tell you if they don't go after some D linemen, they believe in these guys or they're, or they're just going to run the risk that they were right. But, you know, to me, they may be saying, Hey, we, we think Ed Oliver's on the, you know, he's playing better. We like what we saw at the end of the year. Hey, Spenza, he can do some more. We don't know what they're thinking, but what these signings will do will tell us what they think of those guys. Now, if they go out and get some pass rushers like you're talking about, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if they go big on. I don't know if they can. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't right? know if they can now. Yeah, they can. I would have been more apt to just let Milano walk and then really try to go big game hunting and, because I, I don't know. I mean, as much as we're talking about you know these hybrid safety linebackers and how you just need weapons. But I, I feel like you can probably find linebackers in, in the draft more at more than you can find elite edge rushers in the draft. I would agree with that. And I think we should, this conversation might need to wait until after the draft and then we can sit down and say, okay, what did they do? Like, what did they really do this off season? And then we'll know, I think what they were thinking behind closed doors. That's a good point. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves and they were in just on JJ Watt, you know, they were trying at least. They went right. So that's a good sign that, hey, we know that we want to get some type of difference maker up front. And also uh, in these uh, the COVID cap time, it's really, it's really hard, you know, for these teams, Jim. I don't know if you've heard, like, it's it's really tough to pay these players this, this time. You know, like we said, Jerry Jones, he's down to two plane helicopters, I think, in, in Frisco. So it's tough. Um, thoughts and prayers there. Did you but, hear anything from uh, Allen Robinson? We, we just a little bit. We texted a little bit. I, I I'm sure he's not happy. I mean, he he. You, I mean, everybody read the story. Like he told me, he said, "Yeah, if it comes down to the tag, he's probably going to look for a trade. He's probably going to ask for a trade if he hasn't done it already." Like in in the nicest, friendliest Allen Robinson way possible. It was like, I think the way I phrased the question was like, "Are you going to do what these other guys are doing? The Deshaun Watsons, the Stephon Diggs, and just." force your way out regardless of the situation. And he said, basically, yeah, (laughs) we'll see when we get there, but probably. Yeah, I was, you know, either way, you know, at least it's a nice number for him, you know, if it has to go down that way for one year. But, yeah, you just like to see guys like that have some a little more security, good guys like we talked about, and productive and a really good player. Oh, and I I guess I was getting at, too, is we'll see if, if there are a lot of really good players that keep getting cut, maybe the bill, you know, the bills, any team, you know, one, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So there, there's going to be right. some good players out there. That's what's going to be. It's really about to pick up and get fun. Um, but it also goes to the point we talked about on a couple of podcasts ago about the salary cap is these guys are, everybody's restructuring. I mean, think Mahomes just restructured his contract already. You know, just like that. That's that's what we were talking about, how there's ways around things. These guys, these cap guys are creative. They're obviously intelligent and know the rules, and they're going to – they're doing all the – every team's starting to do it. They're all just restructuring. 
So. And the Dallas Cowboys have literally paid everybody now. I mean, I can remember when all of these guys were going into contract years and it was like, oh, my, how are they going to spend on Demarcus Lawrence, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Zach Martin, and they, they, they just paid everybody. Um, are you fascinated? Are you more fascinated to see what happens with Watson or Russell Wilson? Man, you know, you know, I'm thinking Watson. This is it's awesome. I know. Did you see uh, David Cauley on some interviews this week? Um, oh man, <laughs> I felt bad for him, Jim. I did. He's in a tough spot. Like, so you know, obviously, you guys crossed like they, paths a little <laughs> bit, but it's just like. You know, part of me, like I watched the uh, the Huddle and Flow podcast clips. Um, Steve White, Jim Trot, yeah. they do they do a yeah. great job. You know, you know, we we always like we kind of take some shots at the the state run media here and there. I gotta say, there are some really good people at NFL Network. Steve White is one of them. He is old school reporter, um, really good podcast. But yeah, you know, I, I that part where David Culley's talking about you know telling his dad that he got this job was touching. I mean, it was great. Like it was special like you felt for him like this guy has been in the nfl for his entire life it means something but like then you look at the position he's in and it's like a lose 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 situation like what the hell is he gonna say about deshaun deshaun Watson doesn't want to play for him and you can kind of tell watching david Cully, like he's just in an awful position i feel he's like you've heard a million times he's really a special person and somebody that a lot of people should look up to as far as his career path and where he's at. But it just doesn't, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't sound right. It, it's like, they're just, I feel like Houston's like, he's just going out there to the firing squad, you know, like taking bullets and like, is this, what's the plan? I mean, it, it's going to be this, the Watson thing is, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this goes down. Well, you know what the plan might be and I couldn't write it too strongly because it still feels a little far-fetched to me, Jim. But, I mean, I was told that there are people around Watson anyways who believe David Cauley was brought in almost to just be this short-term sacrificial lamb until they can hire Josh McDaniels. Like, you know, when he gets out of his contract with New England, I mean, we see Nick Casario there. We see Jack Easterby. They're going, you know, Patriots South. I, is that, like, too crazy for you to think about, to, to literally hire somebody to fire him in a couple of years? Is that is that possible in the NFL? Yes. Yes, it's possible in the NFL. I, there's nothing – I don't know what you could tell me that I would say is not – anything in the NFL is possible. Plus, Jack Easterby and Nick Casero, they've just got to be shitting bricks, you know, the, the tampering and all that. Like, they don't want this stuff out there. That's the last thing they want. Last thing. <laughs> What a yeah, mess that team is. What a mess. Just really trade is. Deshaun Watson. Put him out. Of, like, please, just get him out of there. He's he's too good to be around all of that destruction. Oh. And did you, were you surprised by the Patriots with Cam? Not really. I mean, it. there's a perfect example of, like, how news is reported, kind of. Like, when the first number came out, I think it was, like, 14 mil, and people are right. freaking out. And, right, Which, it's, that by itself isn't a lot for a quarterback. But, like, when you actually look at it, it's nothing, right? It was just, God, a couple mil. It wasn't with it with a ton of incentives. Like, he can, he can get to that number if he does X, Y, and Z. But he's they're going to be trying to sign another quarterback. They're going to be trying to draft another quarterback. Cam Newton probably realized, I have zero other options. I might as well stay at this number. You know, I'm, I'm, I agree with you totally. I'm, 
I'm not, I can't say I'm surprised by it. I'm actually glad because it would be cool to see if Cam does ever come back around. But I mean, his play didn't warrant to think he would. I'm surprised the Steelers, I can't believe, and we talked about this way back with, with Big Ben. Rivers at least did the right thing and said goodbye. I hope Drew Brees says goodbye. I thought Big Ben should have said goodbye. But these teams aren't prepared for life without these guys. You're telling me the Steelers I, – I don't see – I just didn't see it with Ben's play this year or Breeze. And I feel like the Saints are still trying to get, somehow figure a way to get keep Breeze, which blows my mind away. Um, What's going on in New Orleans right now? Nobody's I, talking about that at all. Isn't it crazy? Like, that's a major decision. You're going into the season with Jameis Winston? Sean Payton will lose his shit. That guy's spreading the ball around like that to the other team. I promise you that. He's not going into the season with Jameis Winston. If he's going to turn the ball, there's no way that's who he wants playing quarterback, unless he thinks he can, he fixed him. Taysom Hill. Well, yeah, that guy, that's, that's a fun little, that's a fun every series, every other series. That's ridiculous. That guy can't throw. But, um. You're an anti-Taysite. Love him. Love him for what he does, but he, he's not going to consistently make throws to beat NFL teams. Um, I just, I can't, this Big Ben thing, I just couldn't believe. I really, it's strange. Breeze, though, like, is he in any position of leverage? Like, I know he's one of the best ever, but, like, if I'm the Saints, I saw how that season ended. I don't know if I want Drew Brees to be my quarterback right now. I don't, I don't, actually, I don't want him to be my quarterback right now. But they're not prepared for life without them. They're really not. I mean, the Saints would be, they would find a way just because they're so creative on offense. I mean, look how many games they won with Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill back. You know, they've, over the years, have proven they can get by with some backup-style quarterbacks, and and they will. But I just can't believe they would think you could go into the season with Jameis Winston. That that's that blows my mind away. Which so to your point, I, this is this adds to this whole. I, this is, you never know if they're going to be in the mix. And like you said, those teams that are quiet like that, the Saints, nobody's talking about that right now. They aren't. You know, are they going to? Are they finding a way to maybe go after one of these guys? I don't know. Which we this is our our weekly yep. podcast reminder that Brian Gutekunst and the Green Bay Packers are are brilliant and geniuses because this is what this is why you draft a Jordan Love this is why you you, you, you you draft quarterbacks when you don't need one you don't want to be stuck in this weird awkward transitional period you know if the worst case scenario is you didn't draft T Higgins in the first round because you drafted a quarterback then that's fine that's fine like. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be interesting, though. The Steelers and the Saints, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that shakes out. But on Russell Wilson, like I just talked to a source in Seattle today for a little bit, and I don't know. I tend to agree with this guy in that the roster's pretty damn good. Like I think every quarterback situation should be looked at on its own merit. I, I can't throw Seattle and Houston in the same bucket here and say both quarterbacks should try to get the hell out of it. I feel like Seattle – like, is it perfect? No. Like, is, has their offensive line been pretty shitty a lot of Russell Wilson's career? Yeah. They also were pretty banged up at the end of the year. They also have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. 
a consistently pretty good running game on defense. They they were better at the end of last year. You know what their their mm-hmm. problem was? They were, they were playing better. They were really good on offense the first half of the year, really bad on defense, and then they were not so great on offense and really good on defense at the end of the year. I don't know. I think it's if I'm a quarterback, I'm looking at that situation. I think that's not that bad. I I, I think cooler heads prevail there, and I mean even, even Russell has to see that as passive aggressive high school gossipy he is right now. It's a strange situation, and I'd I'd love to know his relationship with Pete Carroll. You know, it, it ha- there's a Brady Belichick feel of that to me a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. does Russell does he want to say, "Hey, see how you do without me"? Like, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just like Brady was like, "How how how you doing without me?" I wonder if there is that type of like friction. I don't know enough between those guys, and you probably know more just from talking to I guys. I couldn't get a lot of, on that today, yeah. unfortunately. Pete Carroll to me. Yeah, Pete Carroll, you know, whatever. You know, he's a rah-rah. You know, does he's he have a, a gum sponsor? Did he ever get a gum sponsor? No, if he if he does, David Colley for the Houston Texan, uh, he might need to get that guy's aid, that number, because I'm telling you, every time I saw Coach Colley, like, watching Bill's games, I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a heavy gum chewer. Like the – I don't have a – yeah. I'm not a gum guy. I don't even know last yeah, time I chewed gum. But, like, the open mouth gum chewing, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's what it was. You did I, it. It kind of gives me anxiety. Like, aren't you're, like, you're going to bite your gums, man. Like, <laughs> you're, you're – you're, some, something's going to happen there. Like, it just – it looks uncomfortable. But I guess if you do it that much, you kind of know how to chew gum that aggressively. It's pretty aggressive. So there's an art to chewing gum? I guess. I I mean, maybe that's why Russell wants out. You know, I wouldn't want to be around that. But that'd be annoying to be around that all the time. It would be. So what are you looking you know for? What? Sorry. No, I was going to check um, Eastern Washington score quick. <laughs> um, you want to hear a funny Pete Carroll story at the combine? Oh my god! You know how you have a pet peeve about um, the grocery carts? Oh god! In the parking lots, right? Which is outstanding. Well, I have a pet peeve. If you're in an elevator and going down, okay, so you're going down and it hits a floor and it opens. Oh, I, I know don't like going. when people come on before you get off. Oh, thank you. Oh, Is that a good one? That's a, a fantastic pet peeve. I'm coming down at the combine, you know, and I try to get off and this guy, like, basically almost, like, runs into me. And is an assistant coach for Seattle. I didn't know. But it was right after they won the Super Bowl. So he comes barging in. I couldn't even get off. I just kind of take a step back. And then I didn't know who he was. But then right behind him was, was Pete Carroll. And he kept following. He followed him no, right through. No. And I just said, I just said, I just said, hey, excuse me, guys. Hey, you're the champs. I get it. You, you called it out? You did that? I did, just like that. And I walk off the elevator with my hands up, like, come on. Good for you. you can't let – it wasn't – you know, it was just one of those deals, like, come on. How do you not let somebody get up? That, that that drives me crazy. Oh, my God, Jim. I knew I liked you. Because these little minor nuanced things in society, <laughs> they say so much about who you are as a human being. Always. Always. Like – what you do with the shopping cart, how you get onto the elevator. I mean, number one is how you play basketball, I feel like. Are you Great. are you are you diving for loose balls? Are you hustling? Are you unselfish? Like that's probably what you are like in real life as a person, or are you are you hogging the ball and all that? 
But, oh, my God, all right, we could do a whole podcast on this. But I, I just got back from Florida. So it was the first time I traveled in about a year with COVID and everything. But next to the shopping cart thing, maybe more than the shopping cart thing, Jim, Ooh. what drives me insane is, all right, it's kind of two-part. So the plane lands, right? You get up to the gate. The light dings oh, instantly. Every, the people who instantly need, feel the need to stand up and get their bag love and then it. stand there like an imbecile. Like, screw you, man. Like, what? You're, oh, great, you're standing up and now you're you're an idiot. Like, that person's terrible. But the person who's worse is when you are deplaning. All right, everybody. And the budger, you know, it's it, it goes row by row. The person who feels the need to budge and barge in front of you as the plane deplanes is probably worse than shopping cart guy. I absolutely worse because what you're saving what 1.6 seconds about to get to the gate if you have a connection. What I've learned to do, Jim, and I did this. I did this just now coming back from Fort Lauderdale, Buffalo. Somebody tried to barge. So what I do is I I don't know if anybody can see. I put I stick my right elbow. I was in the left. I stuck it out so I could I could feel it coming. You can sense it, right? You can sense. Well, you like they're they're a little nervous and they're shaking and they're you know you know you can kind of see it in your peripheral. I see this happen. I stick that elbow out and I kind you know may, maybe I pushed it back a little bit, but I mostly just held firm. Boom! Went right in my elbow. I didn't say a word. Just kind of gave him a half glance back, grabbed my bag, and got off. More people need to do that because this is wrong. Couldn't agree with you more. It's the most simple process there is. Row by row, see, everybody knows who's getting off for it. Just let it happen. Yeah. Just let it happen. You're not saving time. And by you not, by you jumping up and like that and going in front of somebody, you just, you're just telling me what you are, you, that you think you're that important. And it, it, it's, I agree. That's a really good one. You could do, we could probably do a whole podcast on just traveling through airports. And oh my God. Flights. And the lack of courtesy and just it's it's obnoxious some of the things you see when you're traveling. It really is. It really is. And it says everything about you as a person. In that everything. like split second, like I know you are a selfish asshole. Like right there. Because That's guess it. what? Our plane landed on time. So no, you don't have to hustle anywhere. We're good. That's it. You're just an asshole. And you just, you told me everything. You told on yourself yeah. by doing that. I know exactly what you are. I hope he's got a bruise in his sternum. That, that's my only hope there. Sound like I, you got him pretty good. It was, I mean, I, I don't think I exaggerated that much. I think I made some pretty good contact there, you know. But, but you're driving, right? You're, you're not flying anywhere. You guys have been driving all over the country for this. Yeah, trip. we did this one the, the hard way. But it's, um, yeah, I'm ready to fly, to be honest. I'm, I'm, how was it? It was good. I mean, Delta, they did a really good job of, I mean, it's great. There's nobody in the middle seat, so you've got room. Um, Perfect. Everybody gets on, gets off, unless you've got one of these idiots, you know, there aren't really many issues. So, you know, it's it's just kind of not to get all covid on everybody, but it is kind of funny to me that, you know, you've got to wear a mask, you know, for the whole flight. Okay, fine. But then, you know, you still come through with, um, you know, the drink service, the food service, and then, so you obviously take your mask off to eat the food and, and drink the water, whatever it is. I I don't know. It's, I don't know. I'm just I'm glad I'm glad this Corona's getting the hell out of here because we need some normalcy, man. It's it probably felt good to time. fly though. It probably felt good just to be you know on a flight. And, 
it felt good to fly. It felt good to sit down with these players and talk in person because guess yeah. what? Sammy Watkins isn't going to talk about, you know, good and bad entities entering and exiting his body, you know, on a phone call. It, it, I mean, these, the best stories are rooted in the best conversations and those are had in person at somebody's house or over dinner, what, whatever the case may be. So I like know, that. Jo- job wise, it was so refreshing. Um, I can't wait to write these stories. We had the one on MVS with Green Bay up this week. I, I met up with Kenny Moore, an Indianapolis Colts uh, cornerback. He's got a place in Davie, Florida. So we sat down for like an hour and a half and it was interesting. I mean, he's probably like the best player best DB that we don't talk about. He He's phenomenal. Highlight, highlight interceptions, phenomenal athlete. I agree with you. They don't talk about him enough. And we got to let the listeners know we're going to try to, you know, I'm going to try to do some sky reports on some of these guys you're doing stories on and just maybe some of the players the Bills are signing and um, the quarterback, college quarterbacks, everybody always wants to talk about. We're going to get into that as we get closer. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry to bury the lead there. I mean, I'm no, no, I'm saying that's, it's going to be exciting. It's, that's cool that you were like, down there with those like guys like that that's that's some digging it was fun it was fun it, it definitely was good to get back to some normalcy with the job and you know I can't thank everybody out there for subscribing and, and checking us out because I, I feel like you know when people put their trust into my newsletter I want to put that money back into the company and, and go around and and meanwhile, we're going to try to build this podcast up, man. It's the podcast game is this, we know you've got a lot of options out there you've got a few so to, to spend your time with us, it, it means a lot. Hey, I'm the first unemployed guy to take vacation, so I'm I'm, I'm I can't complain too much. This is great. Well, if there's if there are NFL teams out there listening, just know <laughs> I'd love to have Jim forever, but you know he's way 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 too smart of a football mind to be you know blabbing with me. So hire him as whatever because he deserves it. That's, See, all, that's all I can ask. We should do a mock interview or something for a podcast, Jim. That's what we could do. Well, if they listen to the podcast, they might not want to hire me because we <laughs> talked about not drafting Mahomes. Um, we, oh, we took Peterman in that 17 draft. He's still so, in the NFL. Come on. You know what? Still playing. Still back up like we thought maybe he would be with our boy Gruden. Well, I, I I hope that, and they are. You know, it, it was cool to see on Twitter a lot of Bills fans giving you and Doug and your staff some love for that 2017 draft because, I mean, you're such a selfless guy. Like the Mahomes stuff is is what it is. A lot, a lot of people messed up messed up there. A lot of people. Whole league, whole com- league, completely. Um, and I will say, you and Doug did did tell Terry, hey, it's your team. You know, if you want them, you can take them. They have the draft, and so. That was out there. Uh, but you, look look who you drafted. Trey White, Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins. I mean, these are three players that are absolute franchise cornerstones for these Buffalo Bills. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was. It might have been Field Yates or one, some what? national report, reporter, you know, tweeted out, uh, you know, the, the Milano news. And, and, and then they put, you know, put Sean McDermott's picture with. And I get it. McDermott was there. But look, okay. you you guys were the, the leading the leading the show in the front office. You were pushing for this, so credit where credits due. I'm glad we got into it a little bit. Yeah, that was a fun one tonight. I like revisiting that. And you're right, there was a lot of good done, and and I think that's why it's so still fun for me to kind of you know I like rooting for the Bills because you see those guys playing well, and it's cool to know the work done by the scouts and to, you know seeing all that happen. I like it. Awesome. 
Well, we can't wait to meet people in person. So when we uh, get you back, okay. Jim, let's get one in this week. Yeah, let's try to do one this week. That'd be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, podding it up while you're down there with uh, your little man, with the whole fam, all the shit. Thank you.